Hello and welcome to another episode of the Inspiring Industry Podcast, where we share our conversations with industry leaders from around the world. I'm your host, Danielle Champ, and in this episode, we have the privilege of speaking with an industry innovator who is championing sustainability within the supply chain, with a little help from AI. To keep up with news happening in your industry, visit our website or follow us on LinkedIn. Those links can be found in the show notes. And if you like what you hear, why not subscribe and leave us a review? Here's what you can expect from this episode. Generative AI, AI specifically, what we're seeing today with you know uh, OpenAI, ChatGPT, and Google with Bard and others is going to transform how we work. If you go to university today, a mechanical engineering faculty or electrical engineering faculty, and you ask the students there, who wants to go work in manufacturing? No one will raise their hand. But you can't put sustainability as one of the, of the returns on investment. I think that's the next evolution that has to happen. So, artificial intelligence is currently making waves across global headlines, and it's raising a few questions. There are concerns regarding the jobs it might replace, the legal uncertainty, as well as the ethical implications. And although it definitely has the potential to change the fabric of our society, there are some benefits, as we learn from Saar Jaskowitz. Saar is the co-founder and CEO of Augury, a digital machine health company on a mission to establish a future where industries can rely on the machines that matter. Saar boasts an impressive resume his journey to establishing his own company began at the Israel Institute of Technology, where he obtained a dual bachelor's degree in electrical engineering and physics. Following that, he worked at Intel as an analog architect before going on to launch Augury. He is a well-known thought leader who frequently highlights the ways in which AI can be used to optimize the industrial market. At the time when Silicon Valley experts were petitioning to have OpenAI regulated, I sat down for an exclusive interview with Saar to discuss the ways in which this new technology could be used sustainably, especially within the supply chain. As you'll hear, Saar's goal is to see sustainability become a financial KPI, which I think raises two questions. Firstly, how do we make that possible? And secondly, what are the implications if we don't? Over to Saar. Saar, thanks again for joining us. Um, I am really looking forward to our conversation and to kind of get a deeper insight into the ethical conversation that happens within a supply chain because as you can imagine that is as equally as important as a business's sustainability but before we get into that good stuff could you tell me a bit about your career some background into how you've come to be where you are today Sure, I'd love to. So first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, it's great uh, to be here. And uh, I love always love diving deeper into the conversations beyond just the technology or beyond just the business. So I'm originally from Israel. I was born and raised there. I, I come from an engineering background. I studied electrical engineering and physics. And I later worked at Intel um, for a few years in the CPU division uh, as an analog architect. 
And during my uh, the time I spent in the university, I studied in a, an, a, a university called the Technion in Israel. It's like MIT. It's a tech-focused university. Um, and that's actually where I met my co-founder. Um, and uh, we're still at it uh, you know, 12 years later. Um, and we became very good friends. And it became clear to us that someday we will start our own company. Uh, it's just a matter of time. Uh, and we had, you know, five or six years together, just sitting on sitting on the grass and thinking of business ideas and what can we do and what if this technology happens and what if this reality um, eventually gets here. And and specifically in my studies, I focused on speech recognition uh, using machine learning algorithms or what today would call AI. And if you think about what we do today at Augury, we basically listen to machines and, and based on the noise, we can tell you what's wrong with them. That is very similar to speech recognition, right? You take an audio wave and you, you try to find meaning inside of it. But instead of searching for words, we search for patterns that uh, signify different malfunctions, right? Different kind of, uh, is it bearing wear or is it something in the motor? It sounds very different. Um, so the core of the technology came from, from the studies, from my studies, but being uh, kind of growing up in Israel, both uh, Gal, my co-founder, and, and myself, we served in the in the army in in Israel, uh, like like everyone there. Um, specifically, he was a, in the navy for a few years. I was in the artillery force, and we were both surrounded by very large machines that our lives depended on. And you become very intimate <laughs> with those machines. So every small squeak or, or or noise that happens, you kind of know exactly what it means. And it somehow became apparent to us, what if we take the speech recognition algorithm and we try to apply it to diagnosing machines based on sound, right? Let's build a uh, stethoscope, acoustic stethoscope for, for machines. Um, and that felt like uh, the next evolution of, of where technology uh, needs to go. This was before the IoT was a term. This was before kind of uh, what, what we see today in the market and in AI. So we said, okay, let's assume we can do that. Um, what type of machines do we want to diagnose? Uh, so we talked to buildings, we talked to commercial buildings, we talked to factories, to car fleets, overseas shipping, every critical machine we could imagine, um, and slowly kind of found our way into the industry and uh, eventually to, to what became Augury. I love that. I, I think that um, a journey like that is really impactful when a lot of its influences come from your own life experiences. And so with how you're using AI, how have you seen that technology evolve as well? Oh, a lot, right? So if you think about the different components of what we have at Augury, we have our own hardware that we design, a sensor that measures vibration and temperature and, and magnetic emissions from, from a motor or from a machine. We have the connectivity, right? We have the, the, the algorithms, the AI that needs to run on top of it. If you break it down to these components, a company like Augury could not exist eight years ago, right? So if you look at um, low power sensing and low power connectivity, that all came from the smartphone ecosystem, right? So the iPhone only came to be in, you know, 2007. Um, the, the whole kind of AI that is run on cloud computing in general, but then AI that is applied on massive amounts of data. Um, if you look at, um, Amazon Alexa, right? Or, or Google Assistant, which are the same, same algorithms as we do. Again, speech recognition and very similar. That only happened in the last, uh, you know, six, seven years. So we, we're sitting in the intersection of mega, some, you know, three mega trends. 
um, that all came to be in the same at the same point in time. Um, and we leveraged to, to bring that into the industrial uh, uh, market that was, I would say, a few decades behind in the use of technology. And we were fortunate to be one of the first companies to do that. Love that. Um, I think I can't I can't skirt around a couple of the headlines that have come up recently about the concerns around AI. Do you have any yourself? A hundred percent. I mean, uh, not not. I mean, if we focus on the manufacturing space for, uh, uh, we'll, we will focus on the manufacturing space. But if we kind of look broader than that for a second, right? I think that um, generative AI, AI, specifically, what we're seeing today with you know uh, OpenAI, ChatGPT, and Google with Bard and others is going to transform how we work. Um, and is it going to create loss of, of, um, of current roles, right? Eliminate current roles? Probably. Will it create whole new roles that we can't imagine? Probably yes as well. Um, but if we focus on, on the manufacturing space for a second, we actually have the opposite problem there, right? If you look in, across the US and in Europe, it's very similar in the UK as well. But in the US, we're missing between one to two million people uh, in the workforce for manufacturing. And not only that, it's a very aging workforce. Right? So I had one uh, executive in a large paper company tell me once, you know, every year I lose 8% of my team to retirement. And with them, I lose 25% of the knowledge. So it's not that I need technology to leapfrog. I can barely keep in place. I have to use digital solutions. I have to digitize the knowledge because the experienced people are leaving the workforce and the next generation isn't coming. If you go to a university today, a mechanical engineering faculty or electrical engineering faculty, and you ask the, the, the students there, who wants to go work in manufacturing? No one will raise their hand. Um, but if you ask them, who wants to go work in a data-rich, um, insight-rich AI environment, you know, maybe that changes the picture. So I think that there is room for, for solution like ours and other applications of AI within the supply chain industry at large to not only supplement the knowledge that is leaving and the workforce that is leaving, but also maybe pull in uh, the next generation that today isn't coming. I think with that, because I think you bring up a really interesting point about the labor shortage in general and I think it's it's great to look at it as how AI can supplement that as um, a sort of encouragement. Within the supply chain, what other challenges are you experiencing that you're also looking to solve? Well, I think the most exciting thing for, for us in the past few years is that when we started in the market, and this is typical for a uh, a new category as it's being formed. You know, in the beginning, people don't understand what you want from them and why you're, you're even talking to them. And then over time, you, know, you get a better understanding and appreciation of uh, the, the problem and what could be solved over time, right? I think we graduated from this is a maintenance problem. I need to replace this bearing. Over time, we went into, well, actually, this is a sustainability problem. This is a supply chain resiliency problem. This is a uh, talent uh, upskilling problem, right? And and then you compile all of this into the, the biggest challenges we're facing today, kind of globally around geopolitical issues, right? We're, we're talking about, or countries are talking about uh, moving manufacturing back into Europe, uh, back into the US, as an example. How are we going to do that if we don't have enough people to begin with? 
we can't simply copy the model that worked in China because the, the cost of labor here is five to 10 X higher. We have to work differently. We have to level, leverage digital solutions, right? So that's one, one example of the, you know, the onshoring of manufacturing. The second topic that is very, you know, important for us as a company and as part of our mission is the notion, the whole, um, you know, sustainability and environment for our customers. They could maybe look at it a bit more cynically and, and say there's regulation coming. Uh, around uh, what's called a scope one, two, and three tracking, and we're going to start filing to the to the SEC here, to the uh, to the government, right? Around how much emissions, not only their factories, but all the whole supply chain, their their suppliers and their users are 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 using, right? Are emitting um, solutions like ours can help drive down uh, energy consumption. They can help, we can help drive down waste by improving quality and whatnot. So I think that's a second kind of um, theme that we we take very personally at Augury, right? As part of our mission, sustainability and environment. And um, those are just two examples of kind of macro trends that we see today that are kind of we plug really well into uh, into solving them. And I think they both kind of support each other quite well. Additional, I mean, even better onshoring kind of um, minimizes the impact of carbon footprint when you know globalization. Is, is brought into the supply chain. Um, when you think about sustainability within a supply chain, right, for businesses who are looking to take on that route, what other measures would you suggest that they can start taking on board um, to minimize their impact on the environment? Well, I would say any change begins with tracking. I think one of the biggest challenges in the industry is that we don't have any uh, official way of tracking uh, the different parameters of sustainability and what it means. Um, you know, we, we're at Augury, we're part of the World Economic Forum, and there's a whole task uh, kind of task force that is working on quantifying and building a scorecard, right, um, for companies that they can measure themselves as well as their vendors. Because the, the new regulation that is coming around scope three will require the large companies not just to be better themselves, but also enforce their 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 raw material vendors or or, or suppliers. To also be better, right? So tracking is the biggest one of the biggest challenges today that we don't even know what we're looking at, right? And if you don't measure, then you can't improve. Um, with that being said, there are things that are pretty obvious, right? If you can recycle water, probably you should recycle water. If you have the whole circular uh, supply chain, uh, if you can bring in uh, used products and and somehow leverage them in manufacturing new products, refurbishing them or taking them apart, you know, um, in the whole uh, Electric vehicle domain, the batteries is, are going to be a huge problem for us environmentally, unless we can extract the raw material, the rare materials, uh, minerals from the battery, old batteries and, and use them in new batteries, right? So there are some technology changes that need to shift, but I think we need more investment in them. Or for, for we as an industry, we need to invest more in them. I think for, for companies, it begins with, uh, with culture and mindset. Um, we have some companies that are for uh, customers, partners. That are more forward thinking, and every initiative in the company has to be has to have a uh, sustainability justification, right? How does this help us on our sustainability targets? What we are not seeing yet is the finance teams using that as a financial KPI. So uh, it's hard to every every investment, every initiative needs to have an ROI business case. But you can't put sustainability as one of the uh, of the returns on investment today. I think that's the next evolution that has to happen. 
that you know the, the the executive teams, the finance teams, are able to justify sustainability as enough of an incentive, um, not just you know plain ROI and uh, dollars. Yeah, I think you you mentioned what you're sharing now kind of brings up a really important point about companies, big companies that put forward a title of them being sustainable, and yet their supply chain partners don't necessarily align themselves with those kinds of values either. But that's also quite a touchy subject, as you can imagine. How, how do we navigate that? How do we start to have that conversation? Well, I think that the, there is a systemic issue, right? Um, and that is that when you look at public companies, they are being rewarded for uh, short-term uh, quarter-based revenues and profits. Um, and as long as that happens, it will be very hard to drive change. Uh, I'll give you an example. In one conversation I met with the COO of a very large Fortune, maybe Fortune 50 company. Um, and we we had this conversation on the scorecards and, and how do we uh, enforce. I think the large companies have the leverage point. They can choose which vendors to work with and it's on them to enforce the right behaviors. And and what we kind of, we try to play that out a bit, right? So, okay, so you're going to choose only the vendors that uh, recycle water and prove that they, you know, use sustainable uh, alternative energy sources. Over time, they will come to you and say, look, I'm the sustainable partner. I want to charge more than the non-sustainable partner. Right. I, I provide you a better service. I provide you more value. Are you, Mr. CEO, willing to increase your procurement budget by 2% to work with the tier one partners and uh, vendors and not tier two or three? And he said, well, it's not an easy yes. Um, it's not clear that he would, their procurement budget is in the billions, right? So 2% is a lot. And therefore the government has a role to play. And they're doing some change, some changes in Europe, in the US around scope one, two, and three tracking. I think we see investors like BlackRock and other hedge funds look at uh, sustainability of their companies or, or the companies they invest in. I think investors hold a lot of power as well, and analysts hold a lot of power as well. And then the end of the road is around the consumers, right? Am I willing to pay 5%, 10% more for a green product? And it could be sustainability. It could also be around uh, um, the workforce, right? Um, and and um, taking advantage of different populations. Uh, and so I think this there's systemic change that has to happen. Uh, it's not just on the on the companies, even though they hold a lot of the power. What can consumers do aside from just, you know, read I know I know that redirecting where they're spending money plays a huge role in sending that message. These are the companies we choose to support. Um, what else can they be doing? to get that message about how important sustainability within the entire supply chain is. I'm looking kind of at what I'm saying. It, it feels maybe like I'm negative. I actually think that there's a lot of positive motion, right? Um, I think that we have conversations with uh, you know, senior executives of, of the largest uh, manufacturers in food and beverage and pharmaceuticals and building materials and kind of chemicals, plastics, metal, the heavier industries as well. And the conversation is shifting. And the pressure point definitely comes from the regulations as the government, as I said earlier, but also from the consumers, right? And they hear, they hear kind of very clear, um, the demand for, uh, more sustainable products. And, and they are now also investing in marketing around kind of how much they're doing to be more sustainable because they know consumers care about it. 
another interesting, uh, not sure if it's surprising, but another interesting point where they're getting the pressure is from talent that they want to hire. So the, the new generation, the younger generation of people are asking very tough questions in, in, in the, in the hiring process. They're interviewing the company, right? What are you doing to be more sustainable? I expect the company, I want to be proud to work at this company and I expect you to do X or Y. So we, we are seeing that shift and pressure is coming from all over the place. Mm. Oh, that's lovely to hear. That is absolutely lovely to hear. That must make you really proud as well of the work that you're doing to encourage these kinds of movements as well. You're, you're, you're part of that conversation. Uh, yes, and we, 100%. And we're trying to, to help. And I, I can share a couple of examples if you want, kind of anecdotes. Um, but, but before I can share that, we had an internal debate. We recently, uh, a year or so ago, we signed a strategic partnership um, that we're now going into the oil and gas market or the energy sectors uh, with uh, a company called Baker Hughes, which is one of the largest players in kind of uh, energy solutions and services. And we actually had a debate. We had some people internal to Agri say, you know, oil and gas are the bad guys. Um, we should be fighting against them. And the debate, and that's what I kind of where we started this conversation. We, we love going deep, right? And and kind of some start with why and and how can we uh, kind of be more principled around these decisions. And we got to understanding that we actually have the power to make them better, and it's on us to work with maybe the. Not Baker, Baker Hughes is, is actually doing a lot on the green side, but their customers, right? The, the oil and gas companies and of the world, it's on us to actually help them be better and help them make the transition to alternative energies, make them, um, make their existing footprint more, more sustainable, you know, uh, be it through lowering waste and, and spillage or, or lowering energy consumption. Right. So we want to be part of the solution and not just point at the problems and, and, and steer away from them. I can share another example, a large um, bottling company in, in North America, where in one of the regions, they, had, they didn't have enough manufacturing capacity. And anytime the factory went down, they needed to ship or to send trucks full of bottles for hundreds of miles from one region to another just to make sure that when you go to the supermarket, you can find their products. And what Augury does at the basic level, we, we increase uh, uptime and, and enable them to manufacture more. And then we, we just re reduced 2,500 tons of, of CO2 just by not sending trucks. So there are these second order effects that you don't actually think of um, within the supply chain of how inefficient it could be. I think kind of keeping in line with, you know, that positivity, what would you consider the most rewarding aspect of your job? For me, for us, it's, it's all about people, right? Um, so it's the people that work at Augury. We have, uh, we're 400 people strong uh, today. We have people from, you know, across uh, the, the states where I'm currently located in the US and from Israel, where we're originally from. We have people in Europe, in Latin America, and, and seeing them kind of grow with us. And then it's also the people on, on our customer side and our users. Um, we have people that, you know, customers that told us, you know, this is the best thing that happened to me in, in my 28 year career here. I'm moving from turning wrenches and just following orders on a piece of paper. You need to, every week you need to do this, every month you need to do that, every quarter you replace the oil. I'm now managing risk. Um, I'm doing much more impactful work. 
Um, we have people that started in maintenance in a plant level and became the corporate owners of overseeing digital uh, and, and the rollout of augury. Right. So we're seeing how we can advance their career and make them more impactful. That's the professional side. We also had customers that tell us, look, I was able to go to my son's baseball game over the weekend um, without being afraid that they'll be called back into the factory because every time there's a, a malfunction or a fire, I need, I need to go there uh, immediately. So I think the impact we have on, on people uh, is kind of the biggest driver for me personally. What perspective or manufacturers in particular who are wary about the stigma that AI has um, automation is replacing labor, those kinds of conversations. What perspective can you share to kind of shift that outlook? Well, I think uh, I'll start, I'll share a story. I was in one of these um, um, World Economic Forum kind of sessions, and we started talking exactly about your question, what you just asked, right? And naturally, everyone started uh, throwing out uh, statistics, right? We are already missing 2 million people. So we're not going to replace people. We can't barely hire them. And we're not, you know, all these numbers and they're all factual and they're all right. Um, the challenge is not data. The challenge is more emotional and, and kind of we need to paint a, a, a version of the future that people want to subscribe to. Um, our best way of doing it is by putting them in touch with other users of augury that can share the stories of how this improved their lives. We didn't replace them. We made them more efficient. We also gave them more time with their families. And now they advance in their career, right? So I think we need more, more evidence of real stories where it happened, because we can throw all the facts that we wanted people. It, it won't make them feel better. Um, and to, to what we said earlier, yeah, there's a shortage of people. We're not going to replace anyone. We can barely hire them um, fast enough in the manufacturing space. Super. Um, so this is kind of my final question. Um, from the stories that you've shared, it, it sounds like you've been so in tune with the real issues in the supply chain industry. Um, and I just wanted to know what kinds of lessons have you taken on from your life that have helped shape you to be the leader that you are today? A deep question. So I think one of the things that... Um, um, I have, and, and I know my co-founder has, and, and we try to look for, and every person that joins Augury as well, uh, is a natural curiosity and growth mindset. Everything we do or did until now came from our customers. We're not that smart. We just know how to ask questions and we, we listen really well. Um, and that also, we, we leverage our relationships with our customers and partners to help guide us into the, into the future. We have recently acquired a company last year um, called SIBO, that what we did, historically, we already focused on the mechanical health of the machine, right? Uh, what we call machine health. Now we can look at what is the machine doing? Is it manufacturing a quality product? Is it consuming the, the raw materials and energy in the most efficient way? And we call this process health. That evolution of the company, right? The, the understanding that we need to, to, to move there, that our customers are expecting us to move there, right? came through these conversations and that curiosity. Um, so we really believe uh, in, in you know, gr a growth mindset um, and kind of expanding our horizons and in the conversations we're having with, with everyone. Super, super. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, like I said, that was my final question. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? No, this, this has been really fun. I mean, we talked about AI and, and, and uh, you know, the role 
it may play in the future. We we can take that also to talk about the the responsibility that companies like Augury, right, the software companies, the vendors should should take, right, and how and where we apply these solutions. Um, another piece of it is what role does insurance companies play, right, in the AI space and um, you know, in the not too distant future, you're going to go to a hospital, you're going to have an x-ray and the doctor will get a, a report. This, you know, you either have whatever it is, a broken uh, bone or cancer or whatever it is you're looking for through a machine, through a, through a computer. What if that computer is wrong, right? Um, today, you can sue your doctor if she makes a mistake or she makes a mistake. What if the computer is wrong? So there's a rethinking of, of, of the role that insurance needs to play here. One of our partners, our strategic partners, is a company called Munichre. They're the largest uh, global uh, insurance company globally. And a couple of years ago, we actually came out with the first insurance-backed AI diagnostic solution. So we took us five, maybe six years of working together to get their comfort level um, around our accuracy of our algorithm to a place where they would underwrite it. So we're trying to to move the industry also in that area, right? So the insurance world needs to be more active in AI as we start depending more on these types of solutions to make life or death decisions in some cases. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that'll, that avenue in particular, the role that insurance will play, I think will be a massive talking point in the near future as well. Because that's, I, I think the cool thing about AI is... On the one hand, there's so many aspects of it that are unknown. And so when it comes to things like policies and regulating its use, that territory is so uncertain. But on the flip side, it also opens up new opportunities for how we think about manufacturing and insurance and supply chain and the possibilities that it has. And it's just it's about balancing out um pros and the cons i guess yeah no and, and i'm i'm a, what you would call a techno optimist um I, I really believe that you know technology and specifically now we're looking at ai but technology will help us bring people out of poverty and then be more healthy and live longer and and fix a lot of the problems we just need to make sure that what, what is needed is regulated uh and that the right people take responsibility uh, across the whole value chain absolutely absolutely so it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you same here thanks for having me One of the points I thought was most interesting about this conversation was the optimism that SAR expresses for AI's potential. I'd consider myself more skeptical when it comes to AI and the extent to which the technology will evolve, because realistically, I think there are still a massive amount of unknowns. However, we do need to come to terms with the fact that the labor shortage currently impacting the manufacturing industry could have devastating results. This is possibly how AI could be used to supplement the gap. And I think when used wisely, the results could be massively beneficial. It was also interesting to hear his take on how incentivizing sustainability within the supply chain will actually encourage vendors to be greener. Personally, I think failing to do so could fast track global warming as manufacturing is still one of the biggest obstacles in the fight against climate change. But hopefully, with SARS help, we'll start to see that evolution pick up speed in the next few years. And that's all we have for this episode. We'd like to extend a massive thank you to SAR for joining us. 
And for more insight into how leaders in your industry are using AI within their operations, check out our website. And to stay up to date on conversations around optimizing the supply chain, follow us on LinkedIn or sign up to our newsletters. Links can be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next month with more conversations with leaders from industries around the globe. This podcast is brought to you by Finelight Media. And there are a few changes that have been made to pull this month's episode together. Firstly, we bid farewell to our producer, Alex Cesare, who has been with us since the very start of this podcast and has continued to levitate the quality of its production. This month, he teamed up with Stephen Dobinson, who will be taking over from Alex going forward. Alex, from all of us in the studio, we wish you well. And thank you for the work that you've invested into this project. Our art and design is by Charlie Prothero. Amy Jilks is our guest booking manager, Rosie Clegg, our social media executive, and she is joined by Annabelle Crook. Inspiring Industry is hosted and written by Danielle Champ, and we'd like to extend a special thanks to our magazine editor, Libby Hammond, and assistant editor, Mary Float. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this episode are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Finelight Media and its team.